It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. My guest today began his career in sales in the food industry and worked as a high school sports coach. He had a realization that marketing somewhat unhealthy foods to children was not in line with his passion for coaching and helping people to be their best. It was then that he decided to become a full-time teacher. In response to report of low literacy skills, he spearheaded a school-wide Harry Potter week, turning the entire school into Hogwarts. He helped students pursue their passion projects. In 2017, he was one of the 50 finalists nominated for Varkay's Foundation Global Teacher Prize. It was there that he met a group of equally innovation-oriented educators who became his co-authors in writing the book, Teaching in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Standing at the Precipice which of course is the book that I would love to talk about today. But I also want to just give you a little background that my guest today during the pandemic created the largest ever online professional development session. He's also a co-author of the book, Hope, Where Are You? Which is a children's book that encourages children to talk about their emotions, particularly during this pandemic. It's been translated in over, to, over 50 languages, has over 2 million downloads as it is a free book to, um, to help children. In the meantime, he helped launch the Futures of Education conversation for the UN. He is keynoted at UNESCO's World Day Teacher Day in Paris after his second book, Teaching Life, Our Calling, Our Choice, Our Challenges. He has done a lot during the pandemic, before the pandemic, and we expect big things after the pandemic. Please welcome from Riverview High School in Riverview, New Brunswick, Canada, Armand Doucet. Thank you for that intro, Dr. Sola. How did I do with the uh, French pronunciation? I thought it was excellent. Okay, okay. It made me think I was watching Emily in Paris. <laughs> now, I really want to talk today, Armand, about the teaching in the fourth industrial revolution. I mean, this book is about a topic that's fascinated me for years. Uh, teaching in the age of the fourth industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. Now think about it. When you hear the phrase industrial revolution, what do you think about? Because I always go back to the, what I learned in school, you know, the second industrial revolution, which was all about mass production and factories. The first actually began with the invention of the steam engine. And the third was in the 1970s with the advent of computer technology. But now we are looking at this fourth industrial revolution and I love that your tagline after that is standing at the precipice. Um, this is one in which computers are passing data to and analyze, analyzing data from other computers. One best described as smart. When you think of all of your smart devices communicating with one another, um, think of virtual reality, augmented reality. Think of those sci-fi scenes of computers taking over the world. Could it be? Well, let's hear more. Elman, when and how did you become fascinated by the fourth industrial revolution? It's funny. It's it really started by uh, kind of some research and, and uh, looking at how technology uh, came to impact our classroom and looking to innovate and trying to personalize it and get kids excited and engaged uh, in their learning. And uh, the more I read, the more I, it, it really fascinated me. Uh, and there's multiple parts to it that really fascinated me. But uh, now that I'm a humanities teacher in high school, uh, 
Uh, I actually teach the first industrial revolution in Canada. It's part of the curriculum. And you talk about the, you know, the invention of the steam engine and how it, it really changed the way of life. And it, it brought in unions, it brought in healthcare, it brought in all sorts of different things that kind of came through policy, government, and so on. There's massive changes. The other two industrial revolutions, there were, there were pivots or like slight changes to what was happening, but the big, big rupture was really in that first industrial revolution. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot in the fourth industrial revolution that we saw in the first, we're seeing a real rupture in society in many different ways. And, and we're all trying to catch up, uh, whether it be governance, business, education, healthcare, it doesn't really matter. Everybody's trying to catch up and, and to figure out how are we going to, to use this as a society, but as also as in education itself. So that's kind of where, where the thought process came was how do we approach this? How do we, how do we go forward? How do we make sure that teachers have a say in how we move this forward and how policy moves forward in these situations? And that's why we sat together and we wrote that book. Well, so Klaus Schwab, who I'm, who I adore from the world economic forum, he wrote that the speed of current breakthroughs has no historical precedent. When compared with the previous industrial revolutions, the fourth is evolving at an exponential rather than a linear pace. Moreover, it is disrupting almost every industry in every country, end quote. Uh, and I think that relates to what you were saying uh, about the, the rupturing of society. Uh, Ian Jukes once compared the system of education to the blue whale that takes fully a two-minute a. Ian Jukes once compared the system of education to the blue whale that takes a full two minutes to simply turn around. Do you think that the educational system will evolve exponentially with the fourth industrial revolution along with other industries or be left behind? It's a great question. And I, I think it's not a yes or no answer. I think it comes down to the minutiae and how you approach it as a system. And then how you approach it as a school and how you approach it from a classroom's perspective and then the partnerships within that community. Uh, the best way to describe it is most of the systems have become so big that in education, they become so big that nobody really has control of it or feels like they can make a major difference in it. So there's a lot of people that can say no, not a lot of people that can say yes. And, and the more decentralized or sorry, the, yeah, the more decentralized that it happens, the, the less it's from the actual school and the more it goes into the system uh, that the policymaking decisions are made, being made, uh, the less of an impact it actually has on the classroom is, is kind of where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when PISA scores came in in 2001, it really pivoted how we managed in schools. Right. And it, it put system against system and it put jurisdiction against jurisdiction and all of a sudden you know you had an 82 on literacy scores we only have an 81 though it could only be a point it was like okay we want to be better than you are so we're going to install only literacy uh interventions or we're all going to install only numeracy interventions and and the pendulum really shifted into kind of a management jack welch mode of the 1980s into our schools and it dehumanized kind of the experience Mm -hmm. So like when you're looking at the fourth industrial revolution and how we're going to embrace it, well, you could embrace it two ways. You can embrace it in terms of let's create teaching as an occupation. We're going to give a set list. 
they're going to read through it and then we'll personalize whatever software there is and the child's just going to sit there which we know does not really work right. however it does cut costs and if you have a billion dollar education uh system in your state and then all of a sudden the politician could say you know what it's going to cost us 150 million to operate now that that's a pretty hard sell and, and then on the other side you have you know, empowering the teacher workforce, getting them trained as professionals, no more six-week training program, but taking a look at this is really a profession that is 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 far-reaching, has uh, a lot involved. You have to be thinking on your feet. You have to be able to personalize it. You need people in the classrooms that can understand what the different pedagogies are, motivation, holistic, holistic kind of... Uh, development you're looking at social emotional learning competencies uh and that's a different way of thinking about it but it also means that you're empowering your workforce and you're flatlining kind of the communication and decision making structure which not everybody agrees with uh particularly the people that are in charge that try to kind of hold on to it um so i i see it being able to go two ways i don't think it's going to go the same way anywhere in the world because it's really going to come down to what does your community want what does your government want? What does your teachers want? And what are they re ready to fight for for their students? My passion for technology began uh, back in the 80s. Actually, I was a teacher and then I kind of took a little left hand turn to become a computer professional programmer systems analyst, but then realized that my passion was for education. So I came back into the field. And right then, my feeling was technology needs to be infused into the classroom. And I had working and rethinking how it could fundamentally disrupt the classroom uh, the way we know it, developed this model, the learner active technology infused classroom. So you mm -hmm. figure I developed that back in the 80s and it really became very popular during the pandemic when all of a sudden students were, um, you know, sent home and had to learn the schools, my company, IDE, Innovative Designs for Education, provides consulting services to rethink educational spaces and what is going on in the classroom. And our clients who were running learner active technology infused classrooms said, well, it was kind of easy, you know, not well, I don't think anybody said the pandemic teaching was easy, but it, it, the idea that the kids simply shifted at home, they had their problem based tasks they were working on, they had their activity list, they were self scheduling, making decisions about how they were going to learn the teacher's facilitator. And I'm thinking to myself, it took a pandemic to make happen. Mm -hmm. And then also when I was, uh, went back into school in the eighties, they, I was brought in to, to really look at technology infusion. And a lot of schools were putting computers in a lab with a lab teacher and a lab course. Mm -hmm. And the idea of putting them in the classroom was one per classroom, which does absolutely nothing. Yeah, and right. I just said, no, we're going to put like five computers in a classroom and fundamentally shift how we think about teaching and learning with that and have been advocating for one-to-one -one technology, you know, ever since. And it was interesting. I look at how the um, field of education and government, as you mentioned, government as well, is not agile at all. Like, so I, I recently, I was laughing because I pulled up an article that I wrote about technology and, you know, the, you know, the, the promise of technology in the 1990s. And if you yeah. read it today and covered up the date, you would think it was written today, you know, many decades okay. later. The big problem that I see with one-to-one -one or that I saw 
beforehand, there's two of them. One, oftentimes it wasn't full one-to-one. So you would end up with half the class with computers or half the class with tablets. And then the other half would be paper copy. And then you're doubling the workload of the teacher because you would end up having some stuff online, some stuff not online. And then you're trying to figure out what did I mark? What did I not mark? So like kind of juggling act that. But the second one's the equity piece. So with with the fourth industrial revolution kind of like making things evolve so quickly, you know, your your notebook from four years ago is not is not compatible with things that we have today or it's too slow to process, right? Or uh, you might have a Google Chromes, the other one has an iPad and they're not talking to each other. The child doesn't know he needs to put it in PDFs or have them, right? Like there's so many different things that come into play there. That's interesting to navigate, uh, but it does create some issues. And probably one of the major reasons why before the pandemic, we weren't getting critical mass kind of employing the the technology within the classroom to enhance the learning and enhance the pedagogy is that it was just given too many headaches. And I'm guessing you probably saw some of that as well. Uh, You know, when they gave laptops to all the teachers, there wasn't any professional development, no innovation kind of happened. They put one smart board in each room and okay, well, you'll take attendance in a cool way, right? Like, this is the reason I remain in business because we're coming in and saying, let's show you how to innovate. I think it comes down to empowering the people that you hire. The schools that think, okay, we are now going to tell teachers what they need to do to get this done because we need to bring up the test scores and all of that. All you're going to do is drive teachers out of the profession. And that's what's been happening, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the right. schools that, are saying, wait, let's empower our our teachers. And then we also talk about, we do a lot of work on how to create a culture of professional learning, similar to what you were saying. That that should just be constant. I mean, I think of my own company, we just have a culture of professional learning that's it's constant and we allocate time to it and we make sure that our team is constantly learning and innovating and generating ideas and working with each other. We need to do that in schools so that we get teachers to the position to be able to be empowered and take off and make fabulous things happen. Those schools are going to be able to take advantage of the future. Like, look, if you're a professional and you're working a full day, we both know that teachers work not just a full day, usually early mornings and at night, and then depending on what you have. So, let's say during my prep time during the day, I decide I need to go for a walk because I just had a pretty brutal class and I got to get my head straight for the next class. You In can't do that. System, you can't go take a walk. You, you can't you're even off campus. What are you talking about? You're, you're not an adult. You can't, I can't trust right. you. Like, let's be honest. Right. If you're a true professional, you go take a 20 minute walk, come back. You're going to make that time back at some point during your week. How do we see the profession and and do we truly see uh, teachers and school leaders as as professionals, I think, is one of the key questions to to kind of unwrap this fourth industrial revolution for education. Right, because otherwise we're not going to be able to take advantage of it. No, not at all. If it ends up trying to, you know, give a tablet and here's the pre-recorded courses from somewheres in Chicago for somewheres in Alabama, it's not going to work. What are the technologies 
of the fourth industrial revolution that will promote personalization? You know, some of the stuff I think comes from not the actual technology or the software, but the scaffolding of skills within the classroom, like executive functioning skills, the ability to understand when to shut it off, the ability to understand, you know, digital literacy skills and uh, digital competencies are, are huge right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can you trust or can you not? Where do you go with this? And we actually give like kind of a boot camp for a week. Uh, we use some of the crash course videos from John Green and we say, okay, here are some different things you need to go. What is uh, lateral reading? What is cross-referencing, right? And and really coaching the tools. So it doesn't really matter where the technology is evolving or the software, but you have the ability to navigate that, right? Right. Uh, and, and that's the real skill. You want to be able to navigate from one thing to the next, depending on what's coming out. And it makes executive function even that much more important. When so I- important. I forget what year my book came out on executive function as, as, as the missing link to student achievement, but the, there were many teachers who said, you know, I've only heard that term with special ed kids. And I said, but every one of us has executive function and needs to build it, et cetera. And, and I think as a result of the pandemic, we've had a lot more requests for professional development in that area because it's all about allowing kids to take charge of their learning but I think as we move forward in the fourth industrial revolution and, and we talk about computers are making so many decisions for you, you know, even just, you know, I, I laugh that I'll be talking to a friend about, uh, you know, a particular kind of car I might want to buy. And then the next thing you know, you know, on my Internet searches, the car's coming up as an ad and you're like, who's listening to me? You know, all there's, of there, that. there's an ethics question there. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like unless the citizens of the world are outfitted with significant executive function and the ability to analyze and the ability to stop and say, wait, where is this coming from? Or not accept every piece of news that comes across your phone or TV or computer, but be able to think through it. We're going to yeah. be in deep trouble. And the, the I think we're, all, we're already there in many ways, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, I've heard of, or I've read through uh, some articles when you're talking about biometrics and insurance mm-hmm. companies refusing to pay out uh, the insurance policies because of the fact that they are now asking the biometrics that are taken on a Fitbit or on an iPhone to be brought into court as proof that they weren't taking care of their right. their health when they, right. they obviously had numbers that were showcasing that they should be right. Like, there's a lot of things that policy needs to be agile, flexible, and and, and on the times, but it, it kind of is a dinosaur in this situation. You know, there's there's some jurisdictions that do well with this, like Estonia, that's done that's done probably the most kind of forward thinking to this. Uh, but there, there's parts to it that are very dark and very possible, but there's also parts to it that are you know, mind-blowingly going to help us navigate and hopefully find a sustainable world. Right. Uh, well, connecting students to resources that they've never had before. Exactly. Uh, connecting them to people and experiences to get outside of the small, you know, world neighborhood in which they live to yeah. experience. There's so many advantages. The older I get, the more I need to work on that because the more I'm separated from what they're doing. 
right? Like understanding TikTok, though, you know, it's got ethical issues again in terms of data mining and where it's coming from and so on. But the dancing piece and how they're using on it, do you know it's considered one of the top, if I remember correctly, it's one of the top three or five uh, professional development tools for teachers at the moment yes. where they're getting like 30 second videos uh, while they're on the subway, mm-hmm. right? But it, if I'm not using that to try to drive that message, then I'm kind of missing out on that piece. Right. So it's keeping me young in some ways. (laughs) It's true. I read a great article recently that said, I think it was Inc magazine where they'd said, if you don't have a 20 something mentor, you're missing out. And they'd said, let me repeat that. Not that you're the mentor of a 20 something, but the 20 something is mentoring you because you will be missing out. Uh, and, And it's true. The technology I was just sharing with um, one of my colleagues the other day that when uh, a car that I got in the, I guess, late 90s, mid to late 90s, they had said to me, um, do you want us to install a mobile phone in it? And I was like, <laughs> what? And it was before you had cell phones, yeah. And but they could install a mobile phone in a car. And I laughed because I said, you know, I, um, I, I had a, a message on it that basically said, I'm home right now, so I can't answer your message. But when I go out for a drive, I'll get back to you because it was the opposite. You remember that big box cell phone that Michael Douglas had in Wall Street? Like it was that big thing. Uh, You know, I brought one in class the other day and they couldn't believe the size of the thing. Yeah. They're like, where would you go with that? It doesn't fit in your pocket. (laughs) I did a TED Talk with kids and I showed them my first cell phone was this like backpack. And yep. one of the kids in the audience just said, like, man, you're, you're old. <laughs> it, well, it's built on a period of time. Yeah. And, and the innovation's built on the foundation of something else. Like oftentimes when we talk about innovation, I'll, I'll take out my first iPhone. Uh, I got a first generation and I, and I look at it and then you go to what we have today. And then in between, and I said, look, innovation doesn't, it's not always like a, a completely new idea. It's hardly ever a completely new idea. It's oftentimes built on the ideas of the past and it's little tweaks that get you there. It, it's very rare. Is it a completely new uh, out of the box kind of situation? And, and like, you're even looking at those, ta- those smartphones that came from, you know, there was a foundation piece to that. And so the kids are always kind of in awe and seeing like, you know, you see something wrong in society or you see a problem, that means that there's a possible solution. You can try to figure out what it is. And and I'm a big believer in using other sectors and bringing it into education. So let's unwrap the learning. What one piece of advice would you give to teachers today to navigate this world of technology as we go into this fourth industrial revolution? be curious. I love that. That's great. You know, be, be curious and, and know that you will never be an expert of everything. It is all right to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to go on this journey with you. And if we see some things that I don't agree with from, you know, different points of view, then we might put the stop to it, but I'm willing to try. And, and, And oftentimes that's been my classroom setting. Like, you know, I don't know what that technology, how you're going to do it, 
But as long as I get it in an MP4 file or an MP3 file or a, 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 a video file that I can open up on my computer and I can judge the content and what you did, then I'm willing to try, right? That's great. Um, great. I think that's the key is to really be curious and, and, and that's how you personalize it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, actually caring about the kids and asking questions like, how was your day? What'd you do yesterday? What'd you do when you went home? Like, and, and having a conversation that's not, you know, putting the hammer down. Uh, I, I think that to me is the key, uh, doctor, is really like, be curious. And, and it maintains the, to me, it's be curious about technology and what's out there and what's possible. And then also be curious about your learners, your colleagues, uh, because we need to maintain the human aspect of technology while we take advantage of all that technology has to offer. Mm-hmm. Well, Armand Doucet, thank you so much for joining me today. It was just great hearing your perspectives. Appreciate it. And I wish you the best. I can't wait to keep reading your next book. <laughs> thank you. Looking forward to our next conversation. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.